0: Hey, friends, I'm Michael Kingswood, and it's story time. Been a fun week here in the Kingswood abode. Uh, mom was in town for most of last week, and she cut out of here on Wednesday. And I rolled up to Vegas for a couple days. I see my, my friend up there. And uh, while I was up there, I got on his podcast, uh, Aaron Clary, Captain Capitalism himself, I'm gonna to link to the, our little discussion that we had on his uh, video channel. It was a pretty fun time. First time I've uh, gone on his thing. He's pipped my stuff before, but going on his channel was kind of neat and fun. New experience, and it uh, we talked a little bit about how this whole video podcasting thing works, since he's a lot better at it than I am, and got a few tips. And I'll be trying some new things out over the next uh, week or two, and. Maybe I'll find them amusing, but that's not for right now. For right now, it's Saturday. It's story Saturday. And like I promised you guys last week, we're done with Outdwellers. So we're moving on to the stories from stories from the great challenge. A uh, fun thing is since I've been out of town and I've um, been doing a lot of uh, driving to make up cash flow uh, since I've been gone a couple days, I was like, oh gosh, I don't have a lot of time to read. Oh, geez, what am I going to do? But it turns turns out I actually made an audiobook of the first uh, story in Stories from the Great Challenge uh, a little while back because I finished that story and I immediately published it um, just because and made an audiobook out of it. Uh, It's actually uh, one of the few sweet, uh, meet-cute romances I've ever written. It's called Red Orchid. And I'm just going to present it to you here now. Written by me. Read by me. I'm not a professional voice actor, so forgive me for that. But narrated by the author is a cool thing. Um, Yeah, a few more things to talk about on the flip side. But for now, enjoy the story. It's a bit of a change of pace for me, but I think it was just kind of fun. And I liked it. Let me know what you think. Talk to you in a second. George paused inside the doorways of the back patio of Geppetto's and adjusted his tie. He had selected a light blue one with silver white polka dots to offset the charcoal grey of his suit. It was a good look, he knew that, and he knew the tie accentuated his eyes nicely. He would not normally dress up this way, but tonight he really needed to look the part. Still, damn the tie was tight. Too tight, no matter how he adjusted it. He knew it was just his nerves getting to him, but that knowledge didn't help in order to help to remind himself that he was the good guy here, blowing the whistle on some bad stuff that was going down. Whistleblowers were celebrated, praised. They're also crucified, said a small voice in the back of his head that he had been fighting against for weeks, the one who told him he needed to go along to get along, not risk what he had. And maybe he was wrong, misreading things. He didn't know the full context of what was going on in his lab. Maybe... He knew that voice was spewing bullshit so he shoved it aside and looked around. Geppetto's was built of brick, and the front section was two stories tall and meticulously maintained. The rear patio was a new addition, wider than the main building, with a round, knee-high pool in the center, constructed from poured concrete and designed so that people could sit on the pool's lip and converse, or just watch the water spouting from the mouth of the stone trout that was breaking surface in the pool's center. Off to the left, a white, marble-topped bar dominated with a dozen or so stools, about half of which were occupied by customers, and every sort of bottle a man could want. A slender guy with silver hair pulled back into a ponytail, in a black collared shirt with Geppetto's emblazoned on the right breast in gold, held court behind the bar. George recognized him from somewhere, but he couldn't place where. He had never set foot in Geppetto's until the night. Didn't matter. He wasn't here to chat up the barkeep. The rest of the patio was scattered with tables, ranging from settings for two to one over in the back right corner that could take eight. They were all covered in Geppetto's black and gold tablecloths, with lit candles and clear glass holders in their centers, and wrought iron chairs that looked like they would dig into a person's back and bottom. They were mostly filled, though, and the chatter of the various conversations almost drowned out the soft music, Italian folk from the sound of it, that came from a pair of speakers on either side of the bar. Excuse me, Came a voice from behind him, and George half turned to see a short, black haired guy in Geppetto's staff attire with a full tray trying to get past. Sorry, George said, and moved out of the way, stepping off the single brick stair that led from the doorway down into the patio. The waiter swept past, and the scents of freshly baked bread, a basil risotto, and was that veal piccata? swept over George in the wake of his tray. Between the step and the scents of some other person's meal, it was like a switch through in George's mind, and he snapped to focus he needed to get to it. He swept his eyes around, scanning the various customers for his contact, or rather for the red orchid tucked in the hair above her left ear that she was to wear tonight so he would know her. He had a smaller sigil for her benefit, a lapel pin from the Boston Marathon, the one and only race of that kind he had ever run as a bandit when he was going to college at BU. There, the far end of the bar, last stool, a woman in a red skirt, loose for the warmth of the summer evening, and white short-sleeved collared blouse that had the top two buttons undone. Her wavy blonde hair hung loosely past her shoulders and halfway down her back and was held back from her face by a white hairband. A white hairband with a red flower on the left side, just above her ear. George drew a deep breath and gathered himself. Then, straightening his back and pushing his shoulders back, he walked over toward her. Wouldn't do to appear to be anything but friendly. Just a normal guy, out on the town. Not at all someone out for a covert meeting that could get him fired, or worse. As he approached the woman, he put on a smile that he hoped was warm and open. Stephanie was late, but Karen found she didn't mind. They were supposed to meet up for dinner here at Geppetto's tonight to clear the air. Karen had suggested it. Hell, she had almost felt like she had begged for it. But all the same, she had dreaded the meeting all day. It wasn't every day that your best friend accuses you of trying to seduce her husband ex-husband, Karen corrected herself, though truth be told, the signatures were not yet dry on their divorce paperwork, and Karen had no idea how to react or how to respond. She had most certainly not done that. Never even thought about it. But try telling Stephanie that. The fight had been epic, all the more so since Karen couldn't understand how Stephanie might have gotten that impression at all, and more to the point, why she would care what her ex did anyway she had made a big point about what a pussy he was, and she was so glad to be rid of him, and she was so much better off, and then she goes and gets all jealous bitch about him? Karen lifted her glass of Chardonnay to her lips and sipped, then sniffed out a snort. Stephanie probably thought Matthew would spend his life pining away after her. Instead, word was he had turned into quite the man about town. Though how that translated into Karen trying to hook up with him, she had no idea. Seller's remorse, Karen murmured to herself. She checked her watch. Half past eight, and they were supposed to meet at eight. She had given Stephanie more than enough time, and frankly, Geppetto's menu was more expensive than Karen really felt like tolerating. If she wasn't going to show, there was plenty of leftovers back at her place that Karen could heat up and save some money. Karen took another look toward the doorway leading into the restaurant's main building and did a double take. The guy walking over toward her section of the bar was hard to look away from. Tall, trim, but not in a skinny way, he clearly worked out, at least sometimes. He was clean-shaven and had sandy blonde hair, and wore a well-fitted charcoal gray suit that accentuated the breadth of his shoulders nicely. The blue tie with white dots set off the tint of his eyes, making their blue all the more plain. It registered that he was not just coming to her section of the bar, he was coming to her at the same time as it registered that if she could tell the color of his eyes and such beautiful baby blues, he was already really close and she had been staring too long and far too obviously. He smiled as he slid into the empty stool next to her and a little flutter of warmth went up Karen's body. He nodded to her. I'm George, he said, as though he expected her to take note and recognize him as something special. Karen found herself nodding in return. Karen. Nice to meet you, Karen. The stool was cushioned, but barely, and the contour was off just enough that it felt awkward sitting down. For whatever reason, that semi-uncomfortable sensation dominated George's entire consciousness for a second after the woman gave her name. He heard himself saying rotely that it was nice to meet her and cringed inside. That sounded dumb, considering. It wasn't like he had never approached a woman at a bar before, but this wasn't a social call. It was business. Serious business. She didn't care if he liked meeting her or not. She was here for his information. Although, truth to tell, as he got a better look at her, he truly wouldn't mind knowing her more, and not just biblically. Her green eyes flashed with intellect, and she had cute little dimples that came out when she smiled as she gave her name, to say nothing of nice boobs. Eyes up, George. This is business. He noticed her wine glass was about two-thirds empty at the same time as the bartender arrived at his stool. Good to see you again, George, the guy said, and George cursed himself again for not remembering the guy. What'll it be? George cast about, then gestured at Karen's glass. What's she's having? The bartender gave her a look, and she said, Chardonnay, in a tone that sounded a bit intrigued. Her right eyebrow had gone up when the bartender greeted him by name. As the man stepped away to fill the order, George cleared his throat and said, You've been waiting for a while, hoping that was not the case. Karen gave a little shrug, still looking at him, as though not quite able to figure him out. Little while. I was supposed to meet someone. Her eyes flicked down as though she were annoyed, and he felt a surge of chagrin. This guy, George, was clearly a regular here, or the bartender would not have known him. Did he make it a habit of coming up to women like this here? If he did, he seemed at ease with it. And he even managed to suss out that she had been waiting on Stephanie. Sorry, he said. I got caught in traffic. The completely deadpan way that he said it confirmed it. Definite player. Some other night, she might have told him to take a hike, but tonight, considering the reason she had been coming to meet Stephanie, and had be perfectly honest with herself considering how long it had been since a guy who was worth giving the time of day to had come calling, she rather enjoyed the attention. And though part of her said she should have found that notion off-putting, she was not there just for his amusement. Instead, Karen found herself even more interested in him. The bartender brought George his wine, and George slipped him a twenty. After getting his change and leaving a tip that was a bit bigger than completely necessary, George took a sip from the glass, pursed his lips in appreciation. A second later, he looked around quickly at the people nearby to them. Then he leaned in a little bit closer. So how do we do this, he asked in a lower, almost conspiratorial tone of voice. Stay here, or go someplace more private? Karen blinked. He was getting a bit ahead of himself. But again, strangely, that just made her more intrigued. Don't you think you should tell me something about yourself first? She tried to make it sound teasing, but she heard a bit of a bite in her tone even as she said it. He didn't recoil, though. Instead, he cocked his head at her, and she saw confusion on his face. I don't... He shook his head, some of that assurance gone. So easily? Well, that was disappointing. I mean, you know where I work. What else matters? She blinked again. I beg your pardon? Where you work? He was beginning to look more confused now he raised his left hand to tap at his lapel pin. Karen had noted it, but hadn't really looked at it before. Boston Marathon? She frowned, shook her head. You work for the Marathon? But this is Miami. You on vacation or something? Now he did recoil, looking at her like she had three heads. You are with the Herald. It was a statement, but it sounded like a question all the same. Karen shook her head. No, I'm a schoolteacher. George mouthed. What the hell? But didn't say it. Instead... His eyes flicked to her left ear, and he blinked, chagrin showing through on his face, followed by embarrassment. That's not... He shook his head. Damn, I'm sorry. I was supposed to meet someone here, and I'd know her because she had a red orchid in her hair. I saw red from over there, he gestured toward the doorway, and never looked again. He shook his head and put on an apologetic smile. Karen lifted her hand to the carnation she had slipped into her hairband. It was something she had been doing for years, wearing a flower to match her clothes, She'd forgotten why she started doing it, but continued because it felt like something uniquely hers about how she did herself up. She had not met many other women who did the same, and could totally understand how it had confused George. All the same, disappointment welled up within her, and embarrassment, for him and his predicament, but also for herself. She'd enjoyed his come on, and now she felt the fool. Anger threatened to flare up, but she forced it down. It wasn't his fault and it wouldn't be fair to lay into him. Instead, she put on a reassuring smile. Blind date? He gave a quick shake of his head. No, he said, and looked away from her. For the first time, he had truly looked fully away, his attention really elsewhere than her, since he sat down, and Karen hated that she felt that lack. Business, he added. And from the resigned, almost bitter way he voiced the word, she got the impression it wasn't business he liked or wanted to dwell on. He frowned and let out a sigh then tensed, preparing to rise. I'm sorry I disturbed you, he said. I think I'll let you get back to your night. Karen surprised herself by reaching out to lay a hand on his shoulder, stopping him from getting up. He stopped at her touch, looking surprised as he turned his gaze back to her. She found herself flushing, but forced herself to say anyway, my girlfriend stood me up and, well, I can't stand the idea of eating alone tonight. Even as she said it, Karen knew it was true, and that she had been lying to herself earlier about being perfectly happy with leftovers at home. Alone. Even if she couldn't make up with Stephanie, and maybe even if she could, after the emotionally draining day she had, she really just needed company. And George had promised something. She didn't know what it was. But she really wanted him to stay. That she was certain of. When Karen put her hand on his shoulder, George felt a rush of heat travel from where she touched him to every square inch of his body. Her invitation redoubled that heat, and he felt sure he was flushing. I... he stopped and swallowed. Are you sure? I don't want to impose. Her fingers tightened on his shoulder, and she nodded, and suddenly he saw a deep need in her eyes that reflected his own. But while his was the need to get word out about the chicanery going on at his company, the possibly illegal and certainly dangerous things going on in the labs there, hers was... Something else, but something equally real for her. Whatever physical attraction he had for her, and there was enough of that, faded in the light of the sensation of mutual distress that he felt radiated from himself to her and back. Even if she had been a land whale, he didn't think he would have wanted to say no to her request right then. But he did still have business to take care of. Nodding, he said, I'd like that, but I do need to take care of this one thing. He saw disappointment in her eyes and hurried on before she could give it voice. Let me make one more round through just to make sure I didn't miss her. I'll come right back. She hesitated, then nodded. He left his wine glass on the bar to show he would be returning, but when he turned away, he had the distinct impression that she thought he was shining her on. He moved quickly through the patio, checking all the faces at the tables and the bar and periodically glancing over to make sure Karen hadn't decided to just go and did not see his contact anywhere. He was about to turn back to Karen but decided he really should check the front of the restaurant just to be safe. He knew tomorrow morning he'd want to be able to say he really had put forth every effort here. But a look through the front building was just as fruitless as his look through the patio had been. In the bar near the entrance, with its old-school mahogany finish work and warm but dim lighting, in the main dining room, sprawling and filled with hand-carved, darkly-stained tables for parties of all sizes, topped by Geppetto's tablecloths and candles, to three private event rooms upstairs, all locked except one that was taken by a private party, or so the maitre d' had said, and no, he couldn't go in. There was no sign of the woman from the herald. She must not have taken him seriously after all. Feeling almost insulted, George headed back down the softly lit hallway that led from the main dining room past the connecting hallway for the bathrooms into the back patio. He should have felt relief that he didn't actually have to go through with this thing. Instead, irritation that he knew would quickly turn to anger began to kindle. What was he, chopped liver that they wouldn't even look at what he was trying to tell them? If they... If you're done flirting, how about we get down to business? The voice, low but still feminine, came from the hallway to the bathroom just as George was walking past it. He stopped and turned quickly, on guard. The woman there was short, maybe five foot even, on the heavier side and in her mid-fifties. She wore a navy blue pantsuit with a white collared blouse beneath her jacket and eyeglasses that reminded him of his high school librarian. Her hair was fully gray and done up in a bun, and she wore a business-like expression on her face. Her eyes shined with intellect, but he thought he saw a hint of amusement in them as well. But what he lingered on most as he looked her over was the red orchid she had tucked behind her left ear. He felt as though a weight had lifted and all the doubts he had been harboring slipped away. He grinned and stepped toward her. Let's do this. Karen highly doubted George actually meant to come back, whatever he had said. But still, she found herself hoping he would. But after he vanished into the doorway, leading back into Geppetto's main building, and then didn't reappear for several long minutes, she knew for certain he had ditched her. Just like Stephanie had. Stephanie's betrayal, and her accusations were betrayal, whether Stephanie wanted to think so or not, had hurt. It hurt a lot. But somehow George's leaving tonight stung in a more profound way, going straight through to the core of her womanhood. How could Stephanie actually think she could seduce her ex even if she had wanted to? Karen shook herself. Enough of that kind of grousing. She waved the bartender, Sam, over and got the bill for her wine. She'd not spend any time on self-pity as she bent over and picked up her purse from where she had left it at the foot of her stool, fished out the money to pay for her drink, and paid Sam. She definitely did not. She wouldn't feel that sort of thing over some random guy she'd just met and had only talked to for five minutes, That would be silly. Looping her purse over her shoulder, Karen stepped off her stool and turned away from the bar. George was right there. The smile he had been wearing slipped as he looked from her to the money in the bar and to her purse. Leaving, he clearly tried to hide it, but she could hear that he really didn't want her to. She shook her head but stayed silent, not entirely trusting herself to speak. The rush of feelings when she saw he hadn't left after all. Relief. Annoyance with herself, anger at being annoyed, embarrassed about being angry, happiness, and lastly, an odd hope, left her uncertain what she would actually say. And she had long ago learned it was best just shut up in those sorts of circumstances. His smile returned, and Karen only now saw that before, warm as his smile had seemed, it had not fully gone through to his eyes. But now it seemed like some burden had been lifted from him, and she sensed peace flowing from him. It felt good. It was a feeling she wanted. Hello, Karen, George said and held out his hand. I'm George. I work in biotech. Karen returned the smile and shook his hand. It's nice to meet you, George. Okay, so like I said, a bit of a change of pace for me, but uh, again, I liked it. Hope you did, too. Uh, but That's the first of 52 stories from this great challenge work. Which, as you know, is available to purchase. Uh, go to ssnstorytelling.com. You can find it there. Also, go to books2read.com/greatchallenge. You can get the book there. Um, obviously, I prefer if you come to me because I get more money and I have more control. But it's out there on every book retailer you could want. Just go to books2read.com/greatchallenge, and you get aggregated links to everywhere. It's nice and easy that way. It's called universal book it's great um a company called uh draft to digital provides that service and it's pretty awesome you're gonna be able find look links to ebooks audiobooks print books through there uh there's no audiobooks for stories from a great challenge yet because i got to do all 52 stories first and there's only a couple of them that have audiobooks done yet um so that's what's up with that uh next uh, other things to talk about um like I said there's a couple of new things I'm going to be trying over the next uh, week or two. One of them is, you know, I've been doing, you know, story Saturday. Story Saturday is pre-recorded because I got to do the audiobook uh reading and it uh, works better that way. Uh previous writing Wednesday and other um you know episode things. I've pre-recorded those, but being up there and doing that uh, stream with Aaron and uh Him showing me how some of the streaming uh, applications work made me think, you know, Self, why am I pre-recording these things? I should just stream them. So starting this week, uh, I'm going to (laughs) do writing Wednesday uh, or maybe writing Monday or writing Tuesday, heck, maybe writing Sunday. Uh, I'm going to start trying this live streaming thing. Um, Don't have all that many people watching this channel yet, yet but uh that will change and it seems like live streaming will be a little bit easier for me just to sit down and uh, get these things that don't need a lot of preparation out there like if i'm talking about movies or talking about you know book i read or something like that there's there's a whole process of recording and editing a video and all this other sort of thing to make these things together which makes sense for story saturday Again, because there's the audiobook recording associated with it. But for these other things, it seems like it's a lot simpler just to do the live stream thing. Plus, that can also have the other beneficial things. I guess live streaming helps you grow the channel more. or something. Anyway, so we're going to try that out starting this week. So that'll be cool. Um, What else is going on? Oh yeah, I'm getting preps ready for the release of Glimmer Vale 6. Um, the book itself is not quite done being written but uh we'll have that done here shortly in the next week or, week or two three weeks um plan right now is to release that at the beginning of april and i'm going to run another kickstarter just like i did for story of the great challenge over on indiegogo i'm going back to kickstarter for glimmer vale six and i'm also going to recover the entire series uh there's nothing wrong with the covers i currently have uh they're they're fine uh they're quite good in some respects but also they're man, nothing against the cover artist did them they're great great people great person but um, i have received comments and i have come to think that it looks a little more like a gaming kind of thing than the kind of uh story that it really is so i have coordinated with another cover artist that i use actually just an artist artist that i use to get some some art to put on the covers uh, to redo the covers with and i've come up with new covers for the series which i will be showing up here Uh, i think these are a lot more eye-catching and a lot more uh, from a marketing standpoint a lot more eye-catching to draw people in um, while also still talking genre Um, let me know what you think about the new covers but i'll be redoing the covers and all the ebooks and and the audiobooks as possible acx was really hard to change your with audible it's really hard to change your book your audiobook cover on there uh, the other places it's easier uh, but i'll be recovering all that in preparation for the kickstarter and for the release of glimmer vale six to get a facelift for the entire series I guess it's been a while since i put, put a book out in this series but you know frankly a, year and a half two years there where i wasn't doing that much in general of writing because i was slacking off being sucked down into politics and also the sort of thing that i really needed to ignore but i didn't but we're back on it now um so be on the lookout for the new covers and for the new kickstarter i'll probably be going live here within the next uh, week or two uh it'll run for 28 days i'm setting a low goal for that on kickstarter I think I'm going to set the goal for like 250 bucks. Um, something that we can hit quickly because the quicker you hit your goal on Kickstarter, the, if you hit your goal real quick, Kickstarter will shine the, light of Saur- the eye of Sauron onto it and get you more people coming to it and you get a little more attention and better marketing through there. So setting a low goal is actually better. Um, so we're going to try that, see how it works. Uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, that's about all I got for now. Uh, again, hope you like this story. Uh, I don't write very many romances. I think there's two or maybe three in this uh, Great Challenge collection. But, you know, I wanted to stretch my legs a little bit and try something new. Hope you liked it. Uh, Come back next week, we'll do the next story in Stories from the Great Challenge, which is the longest story in the collection. Uh, So that'll be fun to read. And uh, I like that one a lot. It's called Debts and Obligations. It's uh, sword and sorcery kind of Kind of story, which is, I think, is pretty cool. Anyway, that's it. Uh, come back next time. Uh, don't forget to like, and subscribe, and share with all your friends what we're doing around here. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Story Time with Michael Kingswood. For information on my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. My books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyrighted of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.